Father, we thank you for a gorgeous day out. We thank you for being here with us. And I pray that uh, you would teach us now in this hour that we have. Open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word and give us understanding and guide our discussions in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. We are hopefully finishing up the topic of demonology today. And you have Satanology handouts. We might get to those today. So that's the handout that you have today. But we're going to be finishing up the handouts from the week before. I originally thought it would take about two weeks to go through demons and it's going to take us three. So we've been slowed down a little bit. That's all right. Because I don't have any uh, timetable that I have to get through this stuff in. We sort of get done when we get done. Um, Let's look at the activities of demons. This is where we left off last week. What do demons do? And uh, we'll come back and talk about this even more so in a couple of weeks when we start looking at spiritual warfare as to what Satan is up to, what the demonic forces are up to. So we might not spend as much time in it now as we will in a couple of weeks. So don't worry, we'll probably come back and hit this again. But what are, basically, uh, say, what are demons basically up to? What do they do? Well, number one, they oppose God's purpose. Whatever God's purpose is, they oppose it. All right. Um, they have rebelled against God. Remember, they followed Satan in his great rebellion. Um, one third of the angels went with him. And uh, they opposed themselves against every one of God's purposes. So if God is for it, they're against it. Um, if God wants it to happen, they don't want it to happen. And especially in Daniel 10 here, we have the account of the prince of Persia opposing um, Daniel's uh, message from God, Gabriel. They oppose it. They want to slow it down. You see it in the Christ ministry, right? Whenever Christ was doing something, the demons were there to oppose him. They were there to, to stand in the way. And you got to understand, why, does, why do demons do this? Well, demons can't get at God, can they? All right, They can't affect God. They can't get at God. They can't hurt God personal, you know, directly. But how can they hurt God? How can they cause God grief? By hurting that which He loves, right? By going against that which He loves. And that is why they are so active in the world today. They go against that which God loves. God has a plan and a purpose and they want to oppose that as much as they can. They're never going to win, but there's a sense in which they do it out of spite. They do it out of spite. They know they can't win, but they're going to try to cause as much damage as they can to God's purposes. They execute Satan's program. What's Satan's program? Satan's program is opposition against God. Now, again, you've got to understand that the organization of demonic forces is not as... I wonder, how, how do I, I'm trying to figure out how to say it. It's not as coherent as it is with the holy angels, right? Although they are organized, there's a sense in which even though they are organized, they're all out for their own purposes and own ends. To understand what's going on there. It's not like the holy angels, which has one singular purpose, to honor and glorify God and do what God wants. Demons want to oppose God, but they all have different ways in doing that. And it's not that they are coherent in their obedience of Satan. Am I making any sense of what I'm trying to get at here? Although there's a sense in which generally they are following Satan's plans and purposes... It's not like they work together as a single well-oiled unit. All right? Demons sort of do their own thing to some extent. All right? So they execute Satan's general program, but within Satan's general program 
all the demons also have their own little agendas that they're pulling off as well to oppose and exalt God out of their own hatred of God and hatred of all things holy. Um, one of Satan, again, one of Satan's greatest activities, in fact, the probably greatest activity that Satan is up to today, is spiritual deception. And we see that wherever we look. Spiritual deception. That's 2 Corinthians 11, 13, and 14. Satan's angels or his ministers look as ministers of righteousness. And when you see these guys on television and you read their books, they look like sincere, nice people. But they're not. They're not sincere and they're not nice people. Um, I've made a great study of the Mormon system of religion. And when you go out to the LDS.org website and you read the first president and you read the leaders of the Mormon church, they sound sincere, they sound nice, they're moral people, they have good ethics, but behind it is a demonic doctrine that leads to hell. A denial of who Jesus is, a denial of God's nature, a denial of salvation. They sound good, they look good, they wear suits, they have churches, they have a beautiful choir that sings great hymns, and you think that it's a wonderful Christian thing. And quite honestly, what they have done in recent years, um, if you follow Mormons at all, they have made a concerted effort to pass themselves off as Christian. They made a real, they've made a real um, stab at doing that. And unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians who want to accept them as Christian. Uh, I remember before I left Oberlin College, there was a whole great um, bulletin board on Are Mormons Christian? And a whole big discussion. I still had some of those posts. And uh, a lot of people said, yeah, they're Christian because they love Jesus. Well, which Jesus do they love? It's not the Jesus of the Bible. They love God. They're sincere. Well, which God do they have? It's not the God of the Bible. It's a created being, believe it or not. And what is their salvation? Their salvation is to get an own planet of their own and populate it with their spirit children. Um, it's a whole different thing. And Satan is very good at deception. And I, heard, I was listening to um, some uh, audio from the Shepherds Conference this last week. I didn't go this year. But uh, one of the speakers, Rick Holland, who's an assistant pastor at Grace Community Church, said something very interesting. And I, I, I love it so much I have to repeat it here. He said the problem with Satan is he uses the same language but a different dictionary. All right? It's the same language. He talks about Jesus, but it's a different dictionary that defines what Jesus is. He talks about God. He talks about salvation. He talks about all of this stuff, but it's a different Jesus. It's a different God. It's a different gospel. And what Satan is really up to, by and large, is he is behind false systems of religion, false systems of belief. Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, Christian science. And Catholicism, he's behind that. Systems that don't lead to salvation. He and again, Satan doesn't care what you believe. Believe anything you want. Just don't get Jesus right. And don't get salvation right. Just believe anything. Just don't get it right. He doesn't care how moral you are or how nice... He likes you being moral, right? Because it gives him good press for you to be moral. Just don't go to heaven. That's all. Yeah, Sammy. And the obvious truth of... What is revealed in the fact that nobody gets all hot and bothered over any group on any campus except Christians. Yeah. You know, the 
pagans, the Hindus, the Buddhists, the Wiccans, the spiritologists, the whatever, whatever. It doesn't make any difference. But don't dare proclaim Jesus Christ. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Don't dare say Jesus is the only way. Don't dare say. And I remember when I, in my prior life when I worked at Oberlin College, um, you could believe anything, really. I mean, you could believe you're a reincarnation of Moses. And probably some people would go along with that. But don't dare stand up and say Christ is the only way. That was, that was verboten. That was forbidden. Um, that labeled you as a narrow-minded bigot. Um, you don't want to do that. And see, that's how Satan has pulled it off in our society today. Look at television. Look at Larry King Live. Look at all that. You can, believe, you can bring in all, a host of people on there and they can believe anything off the wall. And it doesn't matter. Just don't say you're right. You know, everybody's given a forum to say anything they want. And that, Satan loves it because he ensnares people in that. He ensnares them in that. I mean, one of the good stories, I, again, I was listening to the, the, the audio from the Shepherds Conference. Um, John, was, John MacArthur was saying after he was on Larry King Live, he's talking about Jesus being the only way. He went into uh, church the next day and he got a call from, and I don't, who's Madonna's husband? Guy Ritchie? Guy Ritchie? All right. He got a call from Guy Ritchie, who called him at the church and wanted to come over and talk to him, so he did. And um, Guy Ritchie told him, he said, do you know what you did last night when you said Jesus was the only way? And he said, what? And he said, you threw out the entire balance of the universe. <laughs> By being so narrow-minded and saying, you threw out the entire balance of the universe. You know, and I say that sort of laughing. That, that's what the world is saying. To keep the universe in balance, just believe anything. Just don't think you're right. And it's okay. You know, you're fine. Um, and the problem is hell is going to be full of people who thought they were doing the right thing. They, they were sincere. They were sincere. They believed they were doing the right thing. And, and here's the danger. The danger is as Christians, we are buying into this theology very subtly. There are Christians out there that say, you know... Hindus, you know, as long as they're sincere, you know, as long as they're sincere, God will let them into heaven. God will be gracious to them. As long as they're sincere. And, you know, the Bible says there's salvation in no other name. Sincerity means nothing. We need to preach the word. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't know how God is working in their heart. You may be the person there um, that gives them the truth that they come out of that and believe. But we need to know that Satan is it's spiritual wickedness and deception in high places. It's deception, and that's why as Christians. You know, I, this, this is really, you know, a big thing in my own personal life is to really know the book, know the word, so that when the error comes along, you can pick it out, see. See, that's the problem with the people in Matthew 7. Remember Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, did we not? He said, I don't know who you are. 
And, and what you read there is you read there's two paths, right? There's two gates. There's two paths. There's two ways. But there's two destinies. And you get, you're on one or the other. You, there's not multiple paths. That's the problem. There's not multiple paths back to God. There's one path back to God and it leads through the cross. You don't get any there any other way. And Christ is saying at the entrance of the broad gate there are men in sheep's you know, wool clothing. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. What is it? They're pastors. They're preachers. They are prophets. And they're not saying, let's go to hell together. They're saying, let's go to heaven together. When those Mormons come to your house and talk to you, they're not saying, we're going to hell. We'd like you to go with us and burn forever. They don't say that. Their attitude is, we're going to heaven and we want you to come along with us and get your own planet. When the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, they're not saying, let's go to hell together. They want you to be part of the kingdom of God. And You know, the, the, the problem is, they mean well, but they're wrong. And we cannot give quarter to that as Christians. We need to realize Satan is the arch deceiver. And he will deceive. Listen to this in Matthew 24. Christ said if it was possible, he would deceive even who? The very elect. That's how good he is at this. You realize Satan is a lot better at this than you are. He's had a lot of years of practice. And he can deceive us without us even knowing we're being deceived. And unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us who gives us spiritual sight, and unless we are steeped in the Word of God, we will be deceived. But his actions, the demonic actions in the world today, are basically spiritual deception. And they don't care what they deceive you into believing just as long as it's not the real deal. right. If they were tolerant, they're not tolerant. Oberlin College is not a tolerant place. They say they are, but they're really not. Because if they were tolerant, it would, you know, they'd say, oh, you're a Christian. Hey, let's talk about that. You know, that's cool. They don't do that. Oh, you're a Christian. You're some oddball. You know, get lost. You know, get out of here. You're intolerant. You're a bigot. Go. You're homophobic or whatever it is. You know, it goes on from there. Um, not allowed to have a strong stand on anything. And, and that's the way Satan wants it. Because he wants confusion. And the more confusion and the more theological chaos is out there, the more people are ensnared into this thing. And he is the arch deceiver. Yeah, Ruth. To me, another take on it is the fact that Christian truth is the only truth that is not tolerated. Yeah, sometimes it's not as much... How you want to, it's not as much... Um, you're known by your enemies, right? You're known by your enemies. You know, I used to always make the joke that, you know, politically, if I didn't know what I should, what stand I should take, I just find out what Ted Kennedy believes and take the opposite, and I'm okay. You know, um, 
That's a joke for anybody in there. I hope you take that as a joke. If you're a Democrat, I'm sorry um, for you. Um, but but uh, sometimes you're known by your enemies, all right? And, and the whole point there is that we should expect this. This is the problem. Most Christians, we want to be liked. We want people to like us. We want people to think we're nice people. And when we take a strong stance and they hate us, we, we don't know how to deal with that. And Christ said, why are you surprised about that? If they hated me, they're going to hate you, right? If they've killed me, what are they going to do to you? Same thing. What are you surprised about? In fact, you should be uh, counted all joy when you're suffering for righteousness' sake. Why? Because it shows that you're on the right track. But Satan is a deceiver. He is a liar, a deceiver. They spread false information. 2 Thessalonians 2.2 They are masters at this. False information, deceit. And as Sammy said, they sprinkle just enough truth in there to make make you bite. Just enough truth to make you bite. But if I gave you, you know, one of your favorite dishes to eat and I said it's 0.01% arsenic, would you eat it? Why? I mean, it's 99.9% pure. What's the deal, right? But see, that 0.1% is enough to kill you. And that's the way Satan operates. He's very good at this. He gives you enough truth to reel you in, but there's always some error. And that's why, for example, when I I said earlier, Satan uses the same vocabulary but a different dictionary. You need to go back to the dictionary. Oh, you believe in Jesus. Okay, which Jesus do you believe in? Do you believe in the Mormon Jesus, the Christian scientist Jesus? Do you believe in the Jehovah Witness Jesus? Do you believe in the New Age Jesus? Do you believe in a Jesus of your own imagination or do you believe in the Jesus as revealed in Scripture? Which one do you have? Because somebody can say, I believe in Jesus as my Savior, but they got the wrong one. They're not going to heaven. You can't mess that up. So always be careful to, to define what is the vocabulary that you're using and what are the definitions behind that. Define for me what you mean when you say Jesus is God. Jehovah wouldn't say, well, he's a God. He's not God, he's a God. Mormons will say, well, he's the God of this planet. But there are other gods too, and I'm going to be a God someday myself. So you've got to be careful about that. Satan is a deceiver. So don't take people at face value. Now, always probe behind it. What do you mean by what you say? What do you mean by that? Because they spread false information. They are good at that. Not only do they spread... False, wisdom, false information, not only are they behind spiritual deception, they aid Satan in spiritual deception. By the way, there's a passage, and I forget where it is, it's in Corinthians. Paul says, do you not know that when they offer things to idols, they're offering them to demons? Who's behind the idolatry of the world? Demons. And by the way, they'll do just enough miracles, just enough whiz-bangery to make people believe it. Who's going to be able to pull off some miracles in the tribulation, the false prophet, right? To get people to follow Antichrist. So here's, here's just as an aside, a little detour here. Just because you see a miracle or a sign doesn't mean God's behind it, does it? Don't, don't go there. Don't say, well, he's done a miraculous thing. It must be God. Then you say, well, what Jesus are you preaching? Well, it's a different Jesus. Therefore, it cannot be of God. Satan can mimic Certain miracles. Janice and Jambres did it, right? Turned their rods into snakes. David Copperfield hasn't pulled that one off yet. They were able to do it, right? So, 
But one of the things they do, they afflict men. They, they afflict men. They're demons. And we see this in the ministry of Christ, right? Where he seemed to really hit these guys. They ca- some cause insanity. Matthew 8, 20. I'm not going to look all these verses up. You can. Matthew 8, where you have um, demons causing insanity. One of them, remember the man who brought his son who was sometimes jumping in the fire and writhing on the ground? And the demon, threw him, demon tried to cause them to hurt themselves, you know, demonically, to cut themselves. You know, when you look at some of the weird goth stuff that goes around today, you wonder if there's some demons behind that, where young people cut themselves, called cutting and all that kind of stuff. It's weird out there. But they cause insanity. They cause... Uh, the, the maniac gatherings is a good one, right? I mean, Christ... And it's interesting because it says when they came up, they saw the man in his right mind. He was sane again. Demons can cause insanity. Now, just because somebody's insane doesn't mean there's a demon in them. No, it doesn't. All right, so don't go there. Some cause muteness. Remember, there's a demon that caused him not to be able to speak. And Christ cast the demon out. He was able to speak. Um, some cause immorality. This is interesting. Uh, you know, when you look at the maniac of gatherings who was out in the tombs doing weird things, and, and you see some of the, the gross sexual perversion that you see today, you wonder if there's some demonic forces behind that. Um, just the debauchery and evil. I mean, it, it's, folks, we're, we're sort of insulated from some of that stuff. But when you look and see the, the, the various immoralities and the stuff behind that, and there have been people who have been delivered from that who said when they were involved in that, almost like they weren't in control of themselves. You know, demons are behind that. Now, again, understand, are demons, is that their primary function? No, it's not, that's not what demons are really up to. They're up to deception. But they also hate God so much that they will do anything to destroy and distort that which God loves. And they are evil, immoral Things. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody that's in immorality has a demon in them. Um, what is the guy? Was it Jimmy Swaggart who uh, fell into immorality? And I always get it mixed up whether it was Rex Humbard or Oral Roberts cast the demon out over the phone on him. Because um, he, he said, I saw the demon of immorality with his claws in your skin and I, I cast him out over the phone. You know, and we, we, that's so silly it's not even worth almost a discussion on it. Look, just because you commit a sin doesn't mean there's a demon behind it. That's one of the things we're going to look at in spiritual warfare. Because there are people that teach that. That if you commit a sin, there's a demon behind that. It's not you. It's really a demon causing you to do that. The devil makes you do it. That's not true. Now, can demons be behind some of that and and the unregenerate? Of course you can. Of course you can. But not every time you sin is there a demon behind it. Alright? And not when... People sin are there demons behind it because people are fallen creatures, right? They don't need the devil to sin. They don't need Satan to sin. They do very well on their own. Um, some demons can cause deafness. Remember that? There's demons that cause people to not be able to hear, to be able to speak. They cause seizures. The one who was thrown into the fire and flopping around. They cause suicidal tendencies. Why? Because they want to destroy. They want to destroy. I remember I went to school with a gal who was a white witch. And she committed suicide. 
All right. Um, they cause the presence. You, see, see, here's the thing to understand about sin. Sin is self-destructive. It destroys itself. You kill a heroin addict by giving him all the heroin he wants, he will kill himself. All right? Sin by nature is self-destructive. And, it, and those who engage in sin, that's why it's so careful, for, so necessary for us as believers to watch this. When we engage in sin, it's a self-destructive thing. We think, well, I'm going to have freedom. I'm going to be able to do what I want. No, it's not. It's not freedom. Paul says if you commit sin, you're a, you're a slave to what? Sin. You're in bondage to that. Why do, why do unbelievers commit sin? They're slaves to it. What else do you expect them to do? Right? They're sinners. They, don't have, they have a will in the sense that they can make choices, but it's not a freely bounded will that they can do anything they want. They're going to do what is necessarily evil because that's what they are. They are. They're evil. They cause personal injury. They, some people have cut themselves and hurt themselves and... You know, they, they, they mutilate themselves even through demonic things. Yeah? Um, I don't want to say too much, but I've been a psych nurse for years. Okay. And I've seen a lot of really unusual things where I just really believe that it, there has been a lot of demonic influence behind some of the things, like you said, some. Yeah. There was one particular lady that had been a patient for several years, over and over and over. And she had... Um, several years after I knew her, she started doing some unusual things like she was cutting, but then she started cutting symbols in her chest and in her legs and in her abdomen. And um, so she was just getting more bizarre all the time. And one morning I came in, I always made rounds with my patients when I first came in on the mental health unit. And she had extremely odd posturing. She was lying with her back to the door. And she just, if you've ever seen a, like a German shepherd or something that has been hurt or coming out of the vet's office and you know how they're just all hunched like this and their hair's like this, well, she was just lying like there and just making these growling noises. And so I called her name and she turned over and what I was seeing certainly didn't look like her. That's all I can tell you. I mean, it was, yes, it was her body, but her eyes and her countenance <coughs> told herself. And just she just turned over and just growled at me, just roared at me. And I, I always used to pray like crazy before I went to work because there was all kinds of wild stuff to go on. And I just, I just said, to whom am I speaking? I mean, I wasn't even thinking mm-hmm. what came out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. And uh, the most horrible voice said, terror, terror. Mm-hmm. And um, as time went on, um, she had all these flashbacks and all this kind of stuff. And there was stuff about it things she was forced to do supposedly when she was young in you know, cultish activities and things that are just beyond conversation. Yeah. But it would be, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, the one thing I don't, you know, I want to be very careful of, you know, when we talk about these things in the classes, there is a reality here. I don't want you to think that somehow I'm poo-pooing a lot of this stuff. I am not. There is a lot of stuff that passes off for demons and Satan gets a lot of blame for things that he has nothing to do with. But there is a reality there where there is a very real devil. There are very real demons. And in this case, there's probably no doubt that here's a woman who is demon oppressed, if not possessed. All right. There is that going on. That is a reality. And we're going to see that. Yeah.
what we need. We need to educate ourselves on how to maintain our spiritual ties to the Lord when we are confronted mm-hmm. with these colleagues. Yeah. Um, when I was in college, we We're going to be talking quite a bit in um, the spiritual warfare piece on how we deal with Satan. But it is important to understand, as in, and I'll repeat this again, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. As believers, we do not have to be afraid of Satan, but we have to submit ourselves to God depending on his power. Because in and of ourselves, we do not have the power to confront Satan or a demon. We don't. In and of ourselves, we are a big fat zero. And if you think that you're going to go out and because you just happen to be a Christian, God has given you some innate power in and of yourselves over Satan, you're going to be squashed like a bug. You've got to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to submit yourself to God. And remember Peter, you know, Christ told him, so Satan wanted to have you to sift you like wheat. And Peter's idea was, well, I'm good enough, I'm strong enough, I'm not going to abandon you, God. I'll be there when everybody else runs away, I'll be there. And, God, and what did Christ say? Yeah, right. Satan is going to... In fact, quite honestly, I think what Christ was saying there, Peter, Peter, if I did not intercede for you, you'd have been smashed to bits. Only God can give us power over anything. And it's His power, not our power. But we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in fear. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
It's the spiritual armor. It's a knowledge of the Word of God. We're going to talk about our spiritual armor. And you've got, you got to maintain a vibrant, healthy relationship with God. When you go out on your own, you're going to lose. You know, you, you can't Rambo this thing. You know, go out in the jungle and get dropped off and win. You're going to lose. You've got to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. And your greatest offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. To know this book and to understand this book. And to not give Satan an entree by willful disobedience and sin in your life. Pray. You need, to, you need to pray and ask God. Every day I pray and ask God to give me wisdom to see and understand, um, to do the right thing, to bring joy to His heart. Because I can't do it in my, my own strength. I'll lose every time. And we're going to talk quite in depth about Ephesians 6. In fact, if you, if you really want to help yourself, go, go home and memorize the sword of the Spirit. Just memorize that whole passage. Commit it to your own memory. Because it will make a change in you. Um, they cause physical defects. There was one woman who was bent double, remember? Yeah. Whom Satan has bound. And she was bent double. Now, is every physical de- defect a demon? How about the boy that of course not. Frothing at the mouth, at the, mouth the, the, the epileptic. Yeah. You know, now some de- sometimes physical disease. And here's a here's a good question for you: If Satan can cause physical disease, what else can he do? He can cure it. So just because somebody can supposedly cure people doesn't mean they're from God. All right. They can possess and oppress men. This is a big topic. Possess and oppress. Most of their activities is oppression. That's what they do with believers, right? They can oppress a believer. How do you know that? Well, Saul, right? Now, there's a big argument about whether Saul was really a believer or not. Um, Some say, no, he wasn't. Others say, yes, he was. I sort of side with those who say, yes, he was. Um, He did have the Holy Spirit, right? There was a time when the Spirit of God was upon him. And when Samuel showed up, what did Samuel tell him? Remember at the Witch of Endor? Tomorrow you will be with me. Well, we know where Samuel's at, right? So I'd assume that's where Saul is going. Now, some people say, well, that just means Saul was going to die. Again, there's a debate there. I, I, I think possibly, I would err saying Saul was probably a believer. He was truly, he was certainly backslidden. And he was oppressed, was he not? Remember what what did what came upon what what did what came from God to oppress him? Now why did you know you, now this is a problematic for some people say now wait a minute. You're telling me that God sent an evil spirit to oppress him. That really doesn't fit with my view of God. God would send an evil spirit to oppress someone? Well, there's a lot of debate on this, but I think what you see here is from the human perspective. Why is it that an evil spirit went out from the Lord to oppress Saul? What happened first? What? He went looking. Not only did Saul go looking, but what had Saul done? Was Saul obedient or disobedient? He was disobedient. Saul was disobedient. Saul had removed himself because of his sin and his rebellion. He has removed himself from that relationship with God, that, that protective relationship. And when you do that, what 
do you open yourself up to? Everything else. That, by the way, and we're going to talk about this in, in the spiritual warfare piece. That's First Timothy, where it says, Paul says, I delivered them to Satan. What do you mean be delivered to Satan? These are believers. What do you mean you're going to deliver them to Satan? Well, if you live in patterns of unrepentant sin, what happens? You remove yourself from the protection of God. You, you, you open yourself up to demonic oppression. It's not that God's saying, I'm going to send a demon to just torture him. That's not the point. The point is when you live in sin and you remove yourself from God's protection, you, you open yourself up to the possibility of demonic oppression. And that's part of God's sovereign plan. And uh, I guess, you know, when I look at that, I say, you know, why do I want to... I have enough problems dealing with Satan. Why do I want to make it easy on the guy and live in sin so that I have an entree? I mean, Paul often says, don't give place to the devil. What does it mean to give place to the devil? Well, if, you, if you're angry and you, you, you go to bed with anger and resentment, what are you doing? You're giving place to the devil. You're giving him an entree. You're giving him an open door, so to speak. Yeah. Don't do that. I mean, he's going to go after you enough without the open door. Don't give him an open door. Don't give him a reason to come in and oppress you. Um, I believe Satan can oppress believers. He can't possess you because you have the Holy Spirit within you. I don't think that's a possibility. You can certainly be oppressed. And, and you know, for example, uh, um, another possible example is the Corinthian example when Paul says when you profane the Lord's Supper and you take unworthily, what may happen? You'll bring judgment on yourself. God might take your life because of that. Um, Satan can oppress us. And Satan would do, love to do nothing more than oppress believers, Right? He can't get when you get to heaven you're outside of his reach. He can't get you there, but he can certainly make you miserable down here as much as possible. And if you give place to the devil by having those areas of your life that are living where you're living in unrepentant rebellion or sin against God, <coughs> you give him an opening. Don't give him an opening. Don't give him an entree into your life. Mary Magdalene, how do we know about her? Well, what did what, did, what is it said about her? Well, Christ cast out seven demons from her, right? Was she demon-possessed? Yeah, because the Bible says she was. <laughs> so there's no doubt about that. And Christ cast out seven demons from her. Now, I think what you see in the New Testament, and this is one of the things um, to ponder, when Christ was on the earth, you almost see a full court press by Satan and his demonic forces because the Son of God was here. I mean, if we can follow up the redemptive plan of God, we win the whole deal. This is almost like a, a make-or-break kind of full-court press. I don't think that the activities of demons that you see in the New Testament were normative for all times. Follow what I'm trying to get at? I think that was a, the special occasion when they confronted Christ directly and there was a tremendous amount of demon um, activity at that time because the Son of God is here. But that doesn't mean they're not here now. They might not be um, as busy now as they were at the time of Christ when he was here. But what do we know about the tribulation? They're going to really be busy then, right? They're going to really be busy. But one of the things they can do is they can possess. It's like what she said there. Who are you? 
who's there? It's somebody else. And, and there, there are validatable issues or, and, and situations where this is true. Satan can possess. And we have, in the case of Mary Magdalene, at least seven demons possessed her and Christ cast them out. Simon Magus, there's one, the, the, the strong one, the magic one, the powerful one. Um, he was, and and why, why is that? Well, when Peter showed him, he said, you child of the devil. Oh, full of all subtly missed, you child of the devil. Peter picked him out. He, who was who behind Simon's supposed powers? Satan, who's there to deceive, right? But again, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Elamus, the false prophet that, that Paul had to confront. The Philippian slave girl, there's one. She had a spirit of divination. What's that? She was able to sort of foretell the future. And by the way, if you read your horoscope, shame on you. And if you have a Ouija board, burn it. All right? Don't go down there. Because what do people want? They want to go to the fortune teller. They want to go to the psychics. Okay, that's wacky. Stay away from that. Don't open yourself up to that. Sammy, you're... Um, talking about whether it's Paul saying he was going to give them over to Satan or uh, uh, the other reference, oh, about Saul mm-hmm. and the Lord sending the Spirit. To me, the way I finally worked through understanding how that case could be was, okay, you're raising your children and they get to be these teenagers who are trying to individuate and separate and rebel and all that stuff and at a point, because of their rebellion, you simply say, or you might not literally say it to them, but you, you decide within your heart, the only way this hard-headed kid's going to learn is to be exposed. It, it, in that sense, I have given them over to learning the hard way what they could have learned the easy way had they listened. Yep. To me, that's equivalent to giving them over to say, it, it, it's not so much that I gave them over as in pushing them out there to get hurt. No. But they chose that path and I just took my hands off the situation. Yeah. That, that's a good way to look at it. I mean, one of the things that the Bible says is the reason that we as believers need to be in church and we need to be around other believers and we need to be in community is because there's a certain protection in that. There's a mutual protection to be around other believers, to be encouraged. Um, having them pray for you, having them encourage you, being there. If you go off on your own, Christianly speaking, and do your own thing, there's no protection. I ran into a gal um, that I used to go to church. They used to go to church here a long time ago, and I said, you know, where do you go to church? He said, I don't go to church anymore. You can worship God at home. I said, What are you, a pagan? I didn't tell her that. I thought of saying that, but she decided that she. They, they decide that their family doesn't need to go to church. They can worship God at home. I said, you know, are you still a Christian? You know, oh, of course I am. I just don't go to church. And it's like the, the New Testament doesn't understand that concept. You're a Christian. You don't go around. You don't want to hang around other Christians. You don't want to be around other believers. What does John say? If you hate your brother whom you can't see, how can you love God whom you don't see? You've got to be around other believers. Why is that? Because there's a mutuality of protection. And so it's, it, I remember the, the, um, the illustration of a pastor who went to one of his parishioners who had not been to church in a long time. 
And he asked the guy, you know, why you're not in church? Well, you know, I can worship God anywhere. I don't really need to be around other Christians. And while he was talking, the pastor took a coal from the fire and just moved it off to the side. And what would happen to that coal? It would start to go out, right? Start to dim and go cold. And then as he moved it closer to the fire, what happened? It lit up again. And that's the way it is. When you remove yourself from God's people, when you remove yourself from the protection of a community, and you go out on your own, that's a very bad place to be. Yeah. And the whole point of Hebrews 10 is he's talking to people who are on the edge. They're just about ready to make the commitment to Christ. They're just about ready to come to Christ as their Savior. And he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. You're around believers. You're around the church. You're around people who believe in Christ. If you go away from that, you may never come back again. You've got to hang around. And that's one of the things that we are called as in the body of Christ and why you know things like community groups and going to church and things like that are so important. It's not that you have to be here every time the door is open. That's not what the New Testament says. But we need to be around other believers. We need to admonish one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, hold one another up, bear one another's burdens, pray for one another. If you don't do that, we're in this together, folks. We're supposed to edify one another. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they don't want that. Um, I used to be a type double A driver. Okay, now I, I, I have a friend of mine who I asked him how his flights to uh, work were because he like flies. Um, he's worse than me. I mean, I went to when we went out to L.A. together. He was driving, and I was spending. I should have been in the back seat on my knees praying for all the time we were driving because I have never seen a maniac on the road. We were coming off one, you know, in L.A. you got to cut through traffic to get to your exit. And he'd tear through four lanes of traffic with not any problem. Me, I'm scared white, you know. And I remember I was driving. I had the opportunity to drive. And he was, cut over, go, go, go. And it's like, there's a car there. Ah, just go. They'll get out of your way, you know. But I was a type double-A driver. And I remember one time coming to church and some idiot pulled out in front of me. And I came that far from flipping him off. I'm being honest about it. I came that far from honking horn and flipping him off, only to find out that the lady in the car was in my Sunday school class that morning. So, so I learned, I learned that, you know what, you need to chill out a little bit here because you never know who's going to be watching you. And your luck, you're going to say something or do something, and that person's going to show up in your Sunday school class or in church and wonder what in the world's going on here. The whole point there, we laugh about that, but you know, you're right. There is an accountability factor. When you are with other Christians, sometimes you say, I could, wait a minute, I better not because I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm accountable to other believers. I can't just do what I want to do whenever I want to do it. And you say, well, that's not a very godly way. You should be able to do that without, okay, yeah, we should. But you know what? We're, We're people, aren't we? And we need community. We need to be encouraged and admonished by other people. And when we remove ourselves from the protection of God, we open ourselves up to demonic oppression. We're not going to be possessed by the devil. None of us in here who are believers can be possessed. But we can be oppressed. 
Don't open yourself to that. We look at the Philippian slave girl who was possessed by a spirit of divination. And remember when we said Paul cast the demon out? Why did he do that? Well, he did that because when he left town, who was going to be the next resident spiritual expert? The demon-possessed girl. And that's not what you want, is it? So he cast the demon out of her to prevent people from following the demon-possessed girl. Many in Christ's ministry, again and again and again, Christ ran into people who were demon... I'm sorry. Probably, to, to a degree, yeah. Being, you know, oppressed. And uh, we, again, we open ourselves to oppression by disobedience, by doing our own thing, by going our own way, by think, or by being under church discipline. That's, that's part of the, the role of church discipline is you put them out of the church. Why? So that they will be brought to repentance. You know, um, can God take their eternal soul? No, He can't. But, I mean, not, not can God. Can they lose their eternal soul? No, they can't. But they can certainly lose their life because of their disobedience. And, and sometimes that happens to Christians who expose themselves to this. Don't expose yourself to that. What are they going to do during the tribulation? They're going to torture men. It's part of their activity. Remember the locusts that came out of the bottomless pit? They're, they're given power to torture men for five months. They will lead demonic invasions. Uh, you look at, uh, for example, the Battle of Armageddon. You've got three unclean frogs coming out of the mouth of the false prophet. They go out to deceive the world and gather them together to the Battle of Armageddon. You have the four spirits bound in the river Euphrates. What do they do? They go out to gather the nations together. Um, they, are, they, they, they are evil, evil people. And they're going to destroy millions of people. They're going to kill millions However, this is an important thing. They are used by God to fulfill His divine plans. In what way? In what way does God use demons? Well, God allows demons to do what demons normally do to fulfill His eternal purposes. It's not that God causes demons to do things, but God allows them the activity to do that. Um, here's just some examples. Uh, a demon punished Abimelech. You can read these, Judges 9.23. Here's a demon prepared the death of Ahab. Remember the story where... God is in heaven. He says, how can we get Ahab to go down to Ramoth Gilead? And he had the spirits come in and one after another they came up with their ideas and then it says a spirit came up and said, I know what I will, what I will do. I will become a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. And what did God say? You'll succeed. Now, did God cause that demon to do that? No. But what does the demon normally do? Lie. So God allowed the demon to do what demons normally do to affect his eternal purpose. That's part of God's sovereignty, part of God's providence. Does God make men do evil things? No, he doesn't. But God allows evil men to do the evil that they would normally do and he makes it so that it fulfills his eternal plans and purposes. Um, we have other examples. A demon exposed the true nature of Saul where Saul went to the witch of Endor. Demons punished Israel. They'll gather the nations together for the battle of Armageddon. Again, God does not cause the demons to do this. The demons are going to do that because that is their nature to do it. It's their nature. But God uses their nature to fulfill His eternal purposes, right? It's the same thing with, my, with, my, uh, with Stetson, Donna's dog. I don't make Stetson bark when the door, somebody knocks at the door. Why does he do that? 
He's a dog. That's what dogs do. But I can use that to my own advantage, right? Because he'll let me know when somebody's at the door. See? I don't make Stetson do it, but that's Stetson's nature. God doesn't make evil men do evil things. That's their nature. But God overrules that propensity for evil for His eternal purposes. What is their destiny? Well, it's very simple. They'll spend eternity in the lake of fire along with Satan. How do we get that? Well, Matthew 25, 41. What did, God, what did Christ say? Depart from me, ye cursed, and the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Why did God create eternal lake of fire for the devil and his angels? And that's where they're going to spend eternity. And by the way, they're not going to be running the place. That's one of the things. You, know, you watch TV and you get this idea that somehow Satan's in charge of hell. Satan is not in charge of hell. Satan is going to be an inmate in eternal hell. He's going to be there along with the rest of unredeemed humanity. And of course, we already read the First Peter 2, 4 and Jude 6, the everlasting chains and darkness. The, the, the eternal destiny of all demons, of Satan, of all unbelievers is the same place, the lake of fire. And they will be forever separated from God. They will never be allowed to ruin the universe. And by the way, when someone says, well, if God was so good and God is so sovereign and God is so... So wonderful, why is it that there is evil in the world? Why isn't he doing something about it? And the response to that is he is and he will. It's not according to our schedule. It's not according to my plans. But God will rid the universe someday of evil. It will happen. It's just in his time. All right. So we finished demonology. You got the handouts for next week. Satanology. We'll start that next week. So... Okay, uh, we got one minute. Any questions or comments? All right. Well, let's close in prayer today. Father, thank you for this day, for granting it to us. I pray that um, you would help us to just realize that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We do not need to be afraid of Satan. We do not need to be afraid of his demons. But we do need to be people of the Word, Father. We need to be people who submit ourselves to you who maintain that vibrant relationship with You through prayer, through reading of Your Word, through communication with You. We can't face Satan on our own. We can't face demons on our own. We will lose every time. So we submit ourselves to You, Father, and ask that You would grant us Your grace and Your strength and Your power. In Christ's name, Amen. Amen.